Wait, so if you had a noon game, you would eat at like 8.30 and then not eat again until like 5? Yeah, you get like a little snack. You get like a little snack uh, before the game. You eat a bar at halftime to try and get you through. But yeah, that's that's how it works. Like you can't eat. You can't eat at 11 because you're warming up. You get to the stadium about two and a half hours before the game. So you eat about three and a half hours before four to four to three and a half hours before the game. And yes, then you're not eating until like six o'clock because you're stuck and you're starving by that point. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was going to say I would be intolerable to be around. I would be like pretty brutal. Yeah. Do they do y'all eat before you talk to the media? No. No. (gasps) No. Oh my God. Welcome to an ACC podcast. I'm Lauren Brownlow and I'm thrilled to be joined this week by another of ACC Network's own. Uh, This time it's Roddy Jones who played for my favorite um, ACC football coach of all time, Paul Johnson, and who's great on ACC Network. I should have led with the second part first, actually. <laughs> well, that, that, no, no, no. You did it in the right order. I mean, Paul Johnson always supersedes anything that I did because he was an institution. And uh, and to be quite honest, I, I, I've, I've missed him the last couple of years. Like I've missed him, you know, kind of snarling on the sideline and going for it on fourth down at all times. It's been it's been one of the things that uh, that that uh, that I miss about him. I, yes, I miss it so much. I miss his sarcasm and his yeah. dryness. There's really no, I don't think there's another ACC coach that has that sense of humor. And I miss that a lot because Dave Doran can do that sometimes, but it's not. He likes to hide his sense of humor a little bit. And Paul Johnson was just unapologetically curmudgeonly. I love that about him. <laughs> That's a great way to describe it. And I don't think he would shy away from that too much either. No, he wouldn't. Um, he's he's fantastic, and yes, he's he is missed. And I don't care all you haters out there of the triple option. We we don't care about these people. Uh, <laughs> no, I liked it. I really did. I liked it. Look, if if you just look at the results, I mean, the the thing works. So you can say all you want about how it's boring and throw the ball around the yard all the time. But if you're not good at that, I mean, look at what Mississippi State's doing. They're throwing the ball all over the yard, and there's nothing entertaining about that. So. Uh, yeah i mean it 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 worked so what can you say about it i know i know and there's definitely some schools that should consider it because nothing else they've tried has worked very well Um, yeah yeah well that's kansas yeah Um, look i mean kansas is like the uh, like that's the prime example what do you have to lose kansas you're kansas like no one talks about you until basketball season at least if you went to that people would talk about you yeah, and you'd be likelier to win, I don't know, some football game. Yeah, just saying. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, but anyway, I'm thrilled to have you on. This is going to be fun. Um, I told you I like to go chronologically through the week of ACC games, um, but I'm going to have to break that a bit as Louisville, Virginia gets delayed until November 14th, although that seems unlikely. I, I we'll see, right? I mean, I, I guess they have enough COVID cases and contact tracing cases. I'm not exactly clear on what the numbers are for Louisville or if they've even released it, but it, it would seem kind of unlikely if they can't play this week that they could play next, but I'm not sure what you're hearing. Yeah, so uh, I don't I don't have any information um uh, more than more than the average person. But when we got noticed last week, we got noticed on Saturday morning. So that would be Saturday, the 31st of October, that Louisville was going to have a significant population out. So um, I don't know if they had completed the contact tracing then. I don't know. I don't know if that was just uh, positive tests or contact tracing. 
But you would imagine if the, the positive test, it would have been the Friday test. So that would have been Friday the 30th, which would put them back, um, I believe, either Monday the 9th or Tuesday the 10th would be their 10 days. So then you may have enough guys back from that initial wave of positive tests that you could play that Saturday. That's just me posturing, working out the calendar and seeing what uh, or, or trying to figure out what it might what it might look like, because we got no notice Saturday morning that basically the entire defensive line was out and that they were going to have five defensive linemen available along with Monty Montgomery um, and, and, and some other guys. So I, I would I would guess if it were positive cases, those guys testing positive on Friday the 30th, they would be able to be back by Monday the 9th or Tuesday the 10th, which would give you almost a full week to prepare for the game on the 14th. But that's just saying, hey, look, if it's just Positive tests, not contact tracing, because contact tracing knocks you out for 14 days. Positive tests knocks you out for 10, uh, as long as you're able to complete the the heart screening and all that stuff. Then, I, then, then the positive tests would be able to be back early in the week. So, you know, it it seems not completely unlikely, but I'm kind of with you. Like, if you have that many guys out bumping it back a week, how many guys do you really get back? I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is. And I mean, full kudos to Louisville since we haven't. I haven't talked about, I haven't had a podcast since they played. Like I was impressed with the way they played against Virginia tech, all things considered. Um, I thought they really fought in that game on both sides of the ball, even though their defense was as limited as it was. And it's not like it was great to begin with. Yeah. So, you know, but, and then Virginia, I'm sure they hate that they don't get to sort of take the momentum from the win over North Carolina, you know, into the next week, but it's my, it might be a good thing because then you can kind of come down from that. And uh, maybe not have the emotional. Sometimes you get a little emotional letdown, I guess, after a big win. So maybe they won't have to deal with that, at least if they have to wait a week. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, and also, Brennan Armstrong left that game at the end of it yeah. um, with a, I, I think it was a lower leg injury. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but maybe that gives him a chance to get either healthy or, or healthy for the game. Um, and so uh, he was he was scheduled to practice, I mean, to play in the game this Saturday. So it gives him an opportunity to be 100 percent if he was not. I mean, you don't you don't leave a game for something that's, you know, something that's not going to affect you the next week. So so maybe it gives him a little bit more time to, to be healthy at the quarterback position. Then also, as you said, the letdown. Um, the letdown factor kind of goes away because you can flush it, refocus. You know, you're not still riding that wave. That's a good point. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's something that I think I, I didn't even think about it at the time because my assumption was just that Bronco Mendenhall was going to fake the punt because or go for it because he knew North Carolina would score. But I think that's also what went into the equation, too, is knowing that he didn't have his quarterback <laughs> or yeah. might not have his quarterback for any potential overtime or, or whatever. So um, I hadn't even thought about that part. But. You know, yeah, it's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, I, but how, how great was it? Like we focused on the, the the fake punt call over and over this week, but he went for two other times on fourth down in that fourth quarter. And, and I just think so many coaches play too conservative in those okay. situations, like trying not to lose the ball. And an offense like North Carolina with the way they were playing almost forces you to do that. And I love it. Like the analytics tell you to go for it on fourth and less than two. Once you pass about the 37 yard line, your own 37, like the, because the, the potential for points is, is it works out where uh, it benefits you to go for it there. And I don't think enough coaches do it. So, uh, so yeah. I, I give kudos to Bronco there. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, Mac Brown talked a lot the week before about analytics, like he has the book or whatever that they use and, and, you know, you, how you have to factor in other things. And I think Bronco too was probably factoring in not only North Carolina's offense, but also the fact that their defense wasn't. Yeah. So, <laughs> might as well. Exactly. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Those are analytics that you can't really, you know, and that's, yeah, that's why like, I get what Mac, I think Mac sometimes, and not to go too deep into that game because obviously it was last week, but like Mac, it, it could be a good thing, right? Like he, he believed in Grayson Atkins and then Grayson Atkins goes out and kicks well against Virginia and you go, okay, Mac knew what he was talking about. Um, but I think he wanted to kick it deep on that last kickoff instead of onside kick it because he said, you know, he, he thought the defense had played well and or was playing better. And I was kind of like, well, <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. I think there's no belief in them. Yeah, but but yes, which I, I do agree, like you want to show belief in your defense, but I also think the flip side is show some belief in your offense. Like it doesn't matter if your offense gets the ball at the 40 or the four, that offense is going to have a chance to score. So 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 if you onside kick it, you at least give yourself two chances to be able to stop them or heck, even three chances to be able to stop them. If the, I, I don't remember exactly what the clock was at. So I was a little surprised at that at the end. But but as you said, like that was last week. Um, and, uh, and, and North Carolina's got to move on and Virginia's got to move on. All right. So that gets us to Friday night football, um, which I know Dave Doran said he was relieved to not have being played during an actual high school football season in the state. It's a touchy <laughs> subject around here. It's a really touchy subject that comes up once. It's just early for it to come up, actually. Usually it's that uh, that last that last Friday, I guess. Or, or, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, that's usually like playoffs, I think, in, in North Carolina. And I yeah. know that North Carolina and NC State have played on a Friday before. I think it was like the Friday after Thanksgiving and that was during the playoffs. And I know high school coaches around here weren't thrilled. And um, yeah, but it kind of is what it is. And um, it'll be, it'll, this is going to be a fun one. I, I really think it is uh, Miami at NC state. And this is, you know, this is the time of year for Miami where, you know, they've come in, they come in with a good record. You start to feel pretty good about them. And this feels like the type of game that could be kind of dangerous for them. Honestly. It, it does. Um, you know, they say you remember November and uh, the last few Novembers for Miami have have been memorable for the wrong reasons. Uh, and I feel like I had them basically all of last November uh, and the bowl game. So I got a front row seat for that thing. But the 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 thing that I'm looking for for Miami is coming off the bye week. Have they figured out a way to get that run game going again? Because um, I think early on we were enamored by the run game, but if you go back and look at it, there were a lot of big plays in there. And if you took out the big plays, they were just average. And, And since then the big plays have gone away and they've taken a half step back to be slightly below average. Uh, and that that's an offense with Rhett Lashley. You get enamored by the flash and dash of of the big plays, uh, but it's an offense that's built off running the football. I mean, Rhett Lashley comes from the Gus Malzahn tree where it's it's spread in formationally, but it's power run game uh, and they need that run game to get going again. Uh, so how do you do it against NC State? And this is an NC State defense that... I think has been okay against the run overall. Like you, you look at some of the uh, some of the games that they played. They obviously gave up a ton of rush yards early in the season, um, especially when you look at the Virginia Tech game where they gave up three fourteen. They gave up a ton to North Carolina, uh, but but you, you factor in the 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 Duke and the and the Virginia and the Pitt teams that have struggled to run the ball. 
and they've been pretty decent. So, so where do you fall on that scale? Do you fall yeah. more on the side of giving up the big plays you gave up against Virginia Tech and North Carolina, or or are you the team that helps that prevents that, like you were against Duke, like you were against Virginia and, and Pitt? I kind of put in a separate category because Pitt can't run the ball against anybody, but no, <laughs> no. And it's 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 looking at Miami's rush stats. You're right. I mean, I think the only thing that would concern me, you know, they've run the ball well against bad defenses. And like you said, there are big plays in there and then they haven't run the ball against some teams that have been pretty good against the run, like a Virginia, yeah. uh, like, like a Pitt, like a Clemson. Right. So you, you don't put too much stock into maybe some of that, but I mean, to only have one sixty against Louisville, that one is the red flag for me. I know they were 5.3 per rush, but um, that one, that one, you kind of look at and go, hmm, you couldn't get the ground game established against Louisville. I don't know, man. And, and overall, in that Louisville game, I, I mean, th- they hit the big play to Jalen Knighton. Cam Harris had a big run. They had the big play to Brevin Jordan, and there's one other big play that I'm forgetting. Those three were for touchdowns. But outside of that, they, I, I don't have the exact stats in front of me, but we had Louisville. I think the week after. Yeah, but but they were yeah they were something like you know four yards a play other than those big plays. Then you factor in the big plays and that shoots up. Um, but but this offense has had some trouble. And and the thing is, you know, you look at at how these teams line up. Louisville is an odd front team, so you're going to get a guy head up the center of the entire game. NC State, same thing. Virginia will kind of do a little bit of both. Uh, but NC State and Ali McNeil in the middle. His impact is going to be huge. How how does he play? How does Peyton Wilson play? Uh, How does Tanner Ingle play on the back end? With with the second two of those guys out against uh, against Virginia Tech, they really really struggled. But then they come back and they've been pretty decent ever since. So so that's kind of the matchup that I'm looking at. Can Miami run the ball against an NC State defense? It's kind of been hot and cold stopping the run. Yeah, and and NC State I think made it their their game plan against North Carolina to try to make them go the long way to score. Now North Carolina is pretty good at scoring. However, you would like to, you know, let them score, I suppose. But um, I thought that was a, I understand why they did that. They've been pretty good this year for the most part since that pit game, I would say keeping things in front of them. And that's probably what they're going to try to do here. And can Miami stay on schedule? Can they avoid giving up, you know, some the big tackle for loss or, or a penalty. And that that's what NC State's going to try to do defensively. But the offense, that's the question mark too, obviously. I mean, Bailey Hawkman played well at the end of the game. We saw some of Ben Finley. I think we'll probably see a little more of him. How much more, I don't know. Um, I know Dave Doran, I think, would like to play Bailey as much as he can. Um, but if Bailey Hawkman is, is a turnover machine, then they're going to have to probably make the switch. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, the Ben Finley thing is is the big question for for me, because um, obviously, you know, had some struggles in that game, but he did show some flashes and it kind of reminded me a little bit of the first time we saw Devin Leary last year. Like you saw some throws and some some flashes of him where you're like, hmm, OK, there's some things to work with with this kid. And then obviously the freshman mistakes come. Um, so I, I think long term, how quickly can you get Ben Finley ready uh, because mm-hmm. Bailey Hockman is going to be serviceable at best. And that's not a slight to Bailey Hockman, but but he's not a guy like like uh, like Devin Leary was in that pit game, for example, that's going to go out and win you the game. You're going to have to have solid play from him and then a great run game, some plays made on the outside, a defensive effort that's going to give you a shot to win rather than, you know, getting in a shootout where you can't run the ball and just relying on right. the quarterback to win the game. 
Yeah. And that's, that's the question mark to me. Like, yes, you can get him in there to manage the game, but you know, can you put up enough points to keep pace with Miami? You would really need the defense to do a lot in that scenario. And Ben Finley, I mean, he has the higher upside. I think we understand that part, but yeah, it'll be interesting. I know, like I said, I know Dave wants to play Bailey as long as he can. Um, I did think it was weird that like it was scheduled that that Ben Finley was going to get like a series at yeah. North Carolina. I thought that was strange. I was like, um, okay. I never, I never loved that. Uh, I can understand why you want to do it because you want to see how the guy reacts. Um, and and I can understand doing it with a guy who's got the upside that he has. Uh, but I, I never love like, Hey Ben, you know, the third series or whatever it was is going right. to be yours. And, and, and really that's it. I feel like it puts a lot of pressure on the guy, you know, like, Hey, if I don't do well this series, I'm never going to get in the game again. Um, but I mean, I, I, I can understand why coaches do it. Cause you want to get them reps with the ones and times that matter against the, another team. So. Yeah. And I've, I, look, I've defended Dave's quarterback management to any NC state fans that will listen to me because I think that he knows the internal dynamics of his team better than we do. Yeah. So, um, and he wants to win football games. I promise he does. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's not, it's not like he's just like, well, I just love Bailey. So I'm going to yeah. go with him no matter what, like that's not what's happening. It's not like his job doesn't depend on it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, he's, uh, you know, I know that we'll lose this game, but I just love Bailey, the human being like, that's not, you know, it, it, so we'll see. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he plays and how much in this game. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what will happen. I think it'll be a good game, though. Um, I, I think so, too. And, um, you know, this, this is sort of the cliche stuff. But it, 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 for NC State, like you can't you can't give this Miami offense a lot of opportunity. So you can't turn the ball over. And also this Miami defense is a really good defense on third. It's really good defense overall, but they are really good on third down. So you don't want to get in situations where you're having a pass block Jalen Phillips and Quincy Roche. Uh, You got it. You got to get in manageable situations. And a lot of the the third and manageables comes back to your first down success. So how do you play on first down so that you're in second and five, you know, or, or, you know, second and six or less so that you can get to a third and four or less that's going to be kind of one of the things that's hard to keep track of, but just keep an eye on it through the course of the game. No, that's a good point. Um, kicking us off Saturday. Oh boy. The game that I think most of my Hokie friends have been dreading is here. Uh, num- number 25 Liberty at Virginia tech. Who would have thought Liberty would have been the ranked team in this matchup. I know. <laughs> well, I, look, you are an AP poll voter. So yeah. I feel like you have to come to the defense of the poll, having Liberty ranked here. Yeah, I mean, I six and zero. Oh, um, it, it's tough, right? Because like the the schedules that everybody has played so far are a little uneven, right? Um, and and yes, I know like Liberty hasn't beaten anybody amazing, but I think I certainly think the Syracuse win, not beating them, because that is whatever, right? I mean, they they beat Syracuse, so what? So was a lot of other teams, but it was kind of the way it went down. Like I know for me, it opened my eyes that they have a backup running back come in there and scorch them for like a. I think he averaged 10 yards a carry, which yeah. is insane. Like, and, and and so it wasn't just that they beat them. It was like that they kind of beat them handily. Yeah. I mean, they dominated that game. Yeah. <laughs> their defense, I think we all understand their defense isn't that great. Um, and I, I think Virginia Tech won't have any problems moving the ball, but their offense can be dangerous. And, and, and I don't know that'll be the key for Virginia Tech because I'm still not quite sure what to make of their defense. 
I, I think their defense is um, I, I, I don't see them as an overly athletic defense, uh, especially with James with uh, with uh, Jermaine Waller out. Um, I think that that, you know, they, they played a lot, especially early in the season with with uh, Rayshard Ashby and Dax Hollifield on the field together. Both good players, but they're very similar in the way they play. So they've put Alan Tisdale in there more to try and get some more length and athleticism up front. They're stout. Emmanuel Belmar didn't play last week. Um, so I don't know what his status is, if he'll be back or not. But if he plays, they're pretty stout up front. Um, but in the secondary, they've had some trouble with run fits. Um, Divine Diablo's played a lot in the box, and I expect him to play a lot in the box now. But that means the safety, the, the deep safety position has to be good, fill in the alley. And I, I don't think they've been very good at that. I mean, JV and Hawkins had a 90-yard run on a on a giveaway play at the end of the half. So um, on a on a I think they're a stout defense. They've got to keep everything in front of them because they they don't catch people when they get behind them. So they're they are I kind of give them a pass a little bit because they are still growing into themselves. They've had so many guys out at different times over the course of the season. Justin Hamilton's still in his first year, and I think we've we've kind of forgotten about that. But but the coaching aspect of this, you know, him being in and out, that affects the team. So oh, sure. I, I look at it, I look at it as a defense that's still kind of growing into itself that has the potential to be pretty stout. I don't think they're ever going to be stellar, but they've they've got the they've got the ability to be pretty stout. Yeah, and it helps when you have an offense that can score the way that this offense can. I mean, the Wake Forest game notwithstanding, I think, you know, the turnovers got them in that one, but um they can we know they can move the football. We know they can score. We know they're going to put up points in this game. The question is just, you know, can they get enough stops and I think probably so, but yeah. I understand why Virginia Tech fans are a little nervous about this. One. Well, I don't think I don't think Virginia Tech fans should be all that nervous. Um, to be honest with you, because I, I, this offensive line's too good. They're they're going to move Liberty around. They're going to be able to run the football. Uh, I'm not sure Hinton Hooker's going to have to throw it ten times in this one. And, and honestly, this game may be played in two hours and twenty five minutes because both teams both teams are going to run the football. Uh, but but this is by far by far the most stout defensive front that Liberty has seen. And and I have a real question about whether or not Liberty is going to be able to hold up because uh, Syracuse got hit for some big plays, but they also created some negative plays against Liberty as well. And they've got, they've got some talent up front, but not near the, the, the overall, um, the overall uh, ability of this Virginia Tech front. So I, I don't, I personally don't think Virginia Tech fans should be all that worried. I think that they played well enough last week for me to buy into what they've got going the last half of the season. I, I think they, sh- they should be fine. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I, I guess, I think the weight game probably spooked them some because they saw what can happen when they can't, you know, yeah. punch it in and score. And if they get a little turnover, but I agree. I think that at the end of the day, they'll be fine. And, Liberty will have enjoyed its brief uh, moment of being late. So <laughs> maybe takes the spot. Who knows? I considered it last week, but yeah. uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's tough because you got a bunch of four and two teams out there and not, not a lot of ways of differentiating. Here's, here's, here's my, here's my sales. Here's, here's my sales pitch for Virginia tech to be ranked. Uh, if I feel like you have to excuse the North Carolina game because they had no defensive backs and that's the wrong team to have no defensive backs against. And if you play that game 10 times, I feel like I could make a pretty legitimate argument, especially the way North Carolina's played down the stretch, that it's a five and five matchup or maybe six and four um, uh, either way. But 
if you give Virginia Tech their DBs, then they've got a fair, they've got a, a probably at least a coin flip chance of winning that game. And if that game goes differently, if North Carolina doesn't absolutely you know, blow the doors off of them early on. And Virginia Tech's got to play catch up, especially when Hendon Hooker comes in the game. I, I, I feel like we have a totally different perception of Virginia Tech if that's a one score game down the wire. So that there's my sales pitch for Virginia Tech to be ranked. No, I think that's a good point. And that that actually gets us into Carolina Duke nicely. That'll be at 12 o'clock as well. Carolina at Duke, the dreaded road game for Carolina where they've played largely <laughs> like garbage. Yeah, I'm, 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 I think North Carolina fans have to hold out hope that they're not leaving the state. Maybe it's leaving the state of North Carolina that's gotten them. Yeah, maybe so, right? I choose Louise. Yeah, and, and it, it's, it's something that like when you mentioned the defense, like for North Carolina, I actually think the DBs have been a big issue too, like you said, but at the same for Virginia Tech, not having the DBs, but I actually think what happens if Hendon Hooker plays the whole game, right? Yep. yep exactly. Um, and, and that is something when you look at what North Carolina's offense did in that game, like they, they scored touchdowns. I think on like six of their first eight possessions touchdowns, yep. and they still found themselves in a five point game like in the fourth quarter or late in the third. I'm not sure which like that in and of itself, I think is what has to concern you about North Carolina overall. And I think with, when it's Virginia tech's offense, you can look at it and go, okay, well that's one of the best offenses in the country. Like I get it. A lot of teams can't slow them down, whatever, but for them to, to have a similar offensive performance, obviously they didn't cash in all their red zone opportunities at Virginia, but the offense still, you could make the case, certainly did more than enough to win that game. And then they face a Virginia offense that obviously is better with Brennan Armstrong, but it's still not amazing. And they can't even do enough defensively to get that win. And that that's where I sort of said, okay, I, I'm ready to sort of make a final ruling on, on North Carolina's defense this season. And it's not a good one. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and, and that was the that was the thing that that the North Carolina bandwagon banked on being good enough. Like, can they be good enough? And I, I'm I, I think they obviously have not been, but it's it's more than just the defense. Like, they North Carolina right now is a really talented football team offensively that's got some pieces defensively that just doesn't make winning plays down the stretch. You know, like the offense played great and I don't want to put anything further. Like, I don't, I don't want to put the blame on the offense, but Sam Howell holds onto the ball too long. Charles Snowden snacks, sacks him, knocks the ball out and the offense doesn't score. Like that is just as important as the other side of, of the defense giving up a big play or giving up the fourth down, um, the fourth downs in the fake punt, kicking the ball out of bounds when you're trying to kick it deep. Needs to get mentioned too because it's been horrible for them. Yes, the, the drop punt by Toe Groves, like just over and these these are losing plays that you can't make. And the team is good enough to overcome one or two of them, but it seems like in all of these losses, and even the Boston College game, you've had like three or four of them, and it's like okay, we you can't have all of these happen in one game. It's just been ridiculous. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And and I think they scored a touchdown after uh, the defense got a turnover against Virginia. I believe, I, I don't have my numbers in front of me, but I believe that was the first touchdown they'd scored after a turnover by wow. the defense. They don't have a ton of them, but that's sort of an example of what you're saying of like, yes, this offense scores touchdowns all the time, but like at Florida State, when they get that pick, they can't score any points off of it. And I think uh, opponents have touchdowns after six of Carolina's seven turnovers. Wow. So that's, you know, it's like, and this is a defense that's not playing with a lot of confidence right now. And I wonder, 
how playing a team like Duke changes that. And maybe Duke has found some confidence offensively based on what they were able to do last week. I don't know. Well, the the Duke experience. So Lauren, I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember if we talked before the year about Duke. Like I I was, I was full on the Duke train, like all over the Duke train because I said, I I said, look, you know, Duke is a team that is going to be better offensively because they've got better quarterback play their their skills a little bit older. And that defense is, is, is going to be really good. And by and large, like the defense has been not as good as I thought it would have been, but it, it's not a terrible defense. They've been really good on third down and they've created a ton of pressure. You go back to that Boston College game and they're pressuring Phil Dracovic all the time and they just can't get him down. That's before we knew Phil Dracovic was like mini Ben Roethlisberger, though. Yeah, it's like untackable. Exactly. Literally. Like he's the hardest person to sack in the league right now, <laughs> and including all of the mobile quarterbacks. Um, but, but, but. Duke's big issue obviously has been the turnovers. They have turned the ball over more than anybody in the country. Part of that's because they've played seven games and and Mississippi State has not played seven games because Mississippi State is knocking on the door of that. But as long as they as long as they do not turn the ball over, they are going to have a chance because they've moved the ball pretty I'd say they moved the ball okay against every team with the exception of NC State. They did not move the ball well against NC State. But every other team, they've really gotten the ball rolling well enough to, without the turnovers, at least be in the game. You think of Virginia, even Virginia Tech. Um, NC State's kind of a, the the sidebar because they did not move the ball well in that game. But in all of the other games... They've been able to move the ball pretty well. They've had as much success offensively against Notre Dame as anybody this year. So um, this is a dangerous game because, as I said, they do create pressure on the quarterback with Vic McKagey and Chris Rumpf. Uh, and North Carolina's offensive line has not been stellar this season. They've had a lot of pressure on Sam Howell this year. Yeah, it's funny. When you mentioned the turnovers for Duke, like the- – the thing is, this is insane, right? Duke is, I think they're last in the country in turnover margin. I want to verify that. Uh, they are they are not even last in the ACC anymore, only because Louisville cannot get a turnover yep. to save their life. Yes, I just saw that. Wow. Yeah, Louisville is below them. They're minus 10 in turnover margin, but they have by far the most turnovers in the country. They have 23. I think next closest is like 19. But yep. the defense has forced the fourth most. Like <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. Like, and, and that's why, you know, when you, when you talk about turnovers, margin is really important because, uh, you can, you can give the ball away if you're taking the ball away. Uh, Duke is just doing it at a rate that's completely unsustainable and, and it, and it's calmed down some, they only had one against Charlotte. I think they had three in the game before that. Uh, yeah, they had three against NC State. So uh, they have just been way too prone to turning the ball over. I thought it would be corrected at the quarterback position uh, with Chase Bryce coming in. It has not been. Um, but but we'll see. We'll see which which Duke team we get. Do we get the Duke team that, that takes care of the ball, which they've really only done twice, Virginia Tech and Charlotte? Uh, or do we get the Duke team that we've seen the rest of the season, which is turn the ball over multiple times a game? Yeah, and the North Carolina defense is certainly really eager to get more turnovers. That's something they've talked about a lot and something they haven't had as much success doing as they'd like to. And Duke's been really fumbly. Like, they've fumbled just way too much. I think they have 10 lost fumbles, which is tied for the most in the country. Like, that's a lot. That's too many. And, and yeah, like you said, they've calmed it down some. um, But that's that's a way to make it real easy on North Carolina is to to start turning it over because that's something they're really eager for. And that's 
it's like, yeah, which Duke team do you get? I feel like in the last few years, especially, anytime anything good has happened with Duke football and anytime you start feeling good about where they're at, it just all comes crashing down. So I wonder yeah. if that trend continues because, yeah, you do feel, oh, wow, they played well offensively against Charlotte. They, they get a big win. And yeah, you just never know, really, because North Carolina, I mean, they this would be a horrible like you want to talk about flipping the way people feel about Mac Brown. I think people understand that they have a, a transcendent offense and that the defense isn't as good and special teams have been a mess and whatever. OK, that's all fine. But go lose to this Duke team. And I think the conversation's really going to shift in a hurry. Yeah. And, and you know, the, when the when the line initially came out, I think there was some surprise that it was as close as uh, as it was. But this this is this is a Duke defense, especially that, um, like I said, has not been as good as I expected them to be, but they're still a top five defense if you start to look at the per play basis. Like if you look overall uh, in total defense yards per game, they're seventh in the conference. But if you break it down per play, all right, how many yards are they giving up every time they snap the ball? They're only behind Pitt. They're only behind Clemson, Pitt, Notre Dame, and Miami. Four defenses that we would consider really good. You go mm-hmm. to the to the overall rushing numbers. They're behind Pitt, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Virginia in terms of yards per carry. Now, passing yard, yards per attempt, they're a little bit lower. They're 11th in yards per attempt. So maybe there's some opportunities there. But the way this Duke team plays... Uh, they're they're going to give up some big plays on the outside because they're going to play man-to-man. They're down both of their starting corners this season. So maybe that's where North Carolina finds a success, but only if they can protect Sam Howell. Yeah, that's a bit... I mean, I was surprised. Not completely surprised because we knew Virginia's defense was better than it had played, but I was surprised to see how often Sam Howell will drop back in that game and just immediately have somebody in his lap. Like, yeah. <laughs> it was... I was like, whoa, A, where has this been, Charles Snowden and company? And B, Snowden, where has this been? (laughs) This is like, by the way, this is two road games in a row now for North Carolina where a defensive player on a team that came in highly regarded and had not played well suddenly showed out. You know, like, uh, Josh Josh Kando has not sniffed uh, anything anything close to what he had in the North Carolina game. And he's one of those guys, Marvin Wilson as well. Yeah. Yeah, and they were horrible the next game. And it's like, guys, come on. Um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see that. I, I was curious. I mean, you guys have you guys had some good defenses, but I know when you were at Georgia Tech, but I know sometimes defense obviously wasn't necessarily the strength. And I, what about the dynamic there on a team? Do you think what can that do when you do have an offense that's performing at the level North Carolina's has performed at? And then you go out and watch your defense and feel like every drive they're going to give up a touchdown. Like, what does that kind of do to the dynamic? Um, in, in not in the locker room because that's the wrong way to phrase it. I know they still like each other fine, but like just the psychological part of that. Uh, thank you for putting that kindly on the on the uh, on the defensive side. We had, we had a really good defense in 08, and that was when the offense was just kind of trying to figure out what we were doing. And then by 09, our defense was was not so good, and we had to outscore everybody. But but you go into the game knowing that, like you go into the game uh, offensively confident that all right, we got to go outscore people, and we're going to because we're really good. Um, so so I don't I don't really see it as. Um, as a as a is something that would affect the team because it didn't affect us. We knew that our defense was not going to be the strength of the team. And if they let the other team score every time, we just felt like we had to score every time as well. And and then eventually they would come up with one stop. So so it was kind of our job to make it easy on them. Like, hey, 
One stop, one turnover, one fumble recovery. That's it. That's all we need because we'll put the game away after that. So I think that's kind of the attitude that North Carolina should take too. Yeah. And I wonder if, if Sam Howell, like when you mentioned him holding onto the ball and things like that, I wonder if that's not entering into the back mm. of his mind a little bit too of like, I have to make this play happen, you know, because if that's I don't, point. right. I don't know. It's just, it's, he, he admitted, he said after the game though, that he completely blamed himself um, for the end of half sequence where I still don't know why they called that play, but whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's another one losing football play. You should have come out of that with points. That's yeah. a losing play, whether it's on Sam on, on Daz Newsome, maybe Daz is at the wrong depth. Uh, the play call, I think could certainly be questioned. That's a losing play from top to bottom. Yeah, no, I agree. And there's plenty of blame to go around for that. But, you know, he blamed himself after the loss. And so maybe, yeah, I think that's probably that probably is the attitude he's approaching it with. Of We can outscore whoever it is and we're going to do that. And I wondered that the same thing with Duke as well throughout most of the season when the offense kept turning it over. And I think you could see that mentally wearing on their defense a little bit, too. Yeah. Yeah, and we've seen it a couple of times. You talk about Miami's defense a year ago, Florida State's defense a year ago. Um, these these pretty stout units that are on the opposite side of a, of a group that's not giving you any help. Um, I do feel like it wears on a defense a little bit more because you just kind of chip away, chip away. Offensively, like it, you should, your job is to go out and score every time. So that should be your mentality no matter what. It doesn't matter what the defense does. You should be able to score and give them an opportunity to make one stop and that wins you the game. Yeah, for sure. No, I think that's probably that probably makes sense, and and that does seem to be North Carolina's attitude. So we'll see. There's no telling. I was going to say you're fighting against the dynamic of like North Carolina on the road and and their defense being bad versus a Duke Duke team that like anytime they taste any like semblance of success just collapses in on itself. So can't have nice things. (laughs) Nope, cannot have nice things. All right, Uh, Boston College at Syracuse, two o'clock. Two o'clock. What an odd time. Okay. Uh, so I, I I talked about this with Wes on Tuesday when I filled in for Packer. The two o'clock, like we have not talked enough about the things that have to happen for a two o'clock game from a meal standpoint. Because Lauren, here's the deal: when you play like a noon game, you wake up, you eat breakfast around eight, and that's that's your meal. So you're done around eight thirty. You like to eat between four, three and a half to four hours before the game. You play a noon game, easy works out. Big big breakfast, bar before the game, boom, you're ready to go. When you play a three o'clock game, you get that breakfast and then you have lunch around 1130-ish. So just a, a little bit early lunch. When you play the night game, you get three meals in. But when you play at two, that, that four-hour window starts at 10 o'clock in the morning. So are you going to skip breakfast, go straight to brunch? You're going to get a light breakfast, go heavy brunch. You can't go lunch because lunch happens too late. You got to eat somewhere in that 10 to 11 window so that you're not feeling sluggish before the game. So Jeff Halfley's got to figure out, all right, are we going to go full brunch and just go at you know 1030 maybe have some orange juice some eggs benny some some uh you know some cronuts or or do you have the sandwiches for lunch? This, this is a big decision that has to be made and quite honestly i am concerned about what boston college is going to do from a meal standpoint and syracuse for that matter wait so if you had a noon game you would eat at like 8 30 and then not eat again until like five yeah you get like a little snack you yeah. get like a little snack uh before the game you eat a bar at halftime to try and get you through but yeah okay. that's that's how it works like you can't eat you can't eat at 11 because you're warming up you get to the stadium okay. about two and a half hours before the game so you eat about three and a half hours before four to four to three and a half hours before the game and yes then you're not eating until like six o'clock because you're star and you're starving by that point oh my god yeah i was gonna say i would be intolerable to be around yeah. i would 
would be like it's pretty brutal. It's a tough day. Yeah. Do they? Do y'all eat before you talk to the media? No. No. <gasps> No. Oh my god. So guys may grab bars. Look, uh, it's it's different now than it was when I played. Like my game my last game was almost a decade ago. So I am not a spring chicken anymore when it comes to this stuff. And so they have more access to stuff. Like they've got nutrition bars and maybe they do eat something, but I never did. No. They, all the bars and stuff are put away. So you had to go straight to the meeting. You're just sitting there, especially after a loss. You're hungry, you lost, and you're just like, leave me alone. Dude, I, I I need to I need to look into this because I need to know. I know Max said they were going to eat like after Boston College uh, back in week two. He said they were going to eat dinner in the stands. So I guess like maybe they ate. They probably ate after the media, yeah. And like, dude, I can't even begin to tell you how grumpy I would be talking to the media, especially if it's like after a loss. But regardless, I'd be like, please let me out so I can eat. Yeah, I would. <laughs> And if it's a road game, if it's a road game, you usually what we did is we just had like a boxed dinner after. And now it was a lot of food, but it's not it's like not hot, you know, like it's it's been sitting out for a little bit sometimes. And then and then we'd have if if it was a plane, we'd have food on the plane, too. So you you like get get a get a, a, a wave of food, but all of it's been sitting out for a while. It's just it's a whole thing that I, I, honestly, it's the, it's the least covered thing in football. Dude, yeah, that is fascinating to me. I had no idea. And it, by the way, it explains a lot. Like, cause I would be a little grouchy too, maybe if I, if I were in that set of circumstances. And they just burned <laughs> a ton of calories. Like, oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is fascinating to me. Yeah. I wonder when they will eat. That is a really good question. I'm, I might like start asking my Boston College people if they, they want. I, sh- I know. Seriously. Wow. Um, I mean, Syracuse is bad. As we all know, they had another opt out with Trill Williams. Um, and, but I know they're excited because I guess Jacoby, is it Jacobian? Morgan? Yes. Yep. Okay. Um, looked pretty good in his brief action. Like maybe they have a quarterback. Maybe. I, I, they've they've been they've been looking for one since Eric Dungey left, and that's that's not a complete slight to Tommy DeVito, but let's just say um, Tommy DeVito has not has not been uh, as expected. Yeah. Um, th- uh, have we gotten word on Sean Tucker? Is Sean Tucker going to play in the game? Uh, I haven't heard anything about that. All right, I'm, I, I've I have not heard about it either. Um, but I have not I have not sought it out either. Uh, but but look, Boston College. This is the type of game that in Jeff Halfley's first year, and I'm not sure they've had this game yet, but, but in Jeff Halfley's first year, like this is the type of game that you go into expecting to win the football game um, as a heavy favorite. And you just got to go do it. They did have it. They had it against Texas state and they barely won. They should have lost that game actually. Um, Mm -hmm. But the, the, the maturity factor, like how, how do you play in a game that you are the heavy favorite against a team that is incredibly depleted, just had another opt out? How do you go out and play there? Um, that, that is that is going to be the big question because it's easy to get up against Clemson. It's easy to get up against any of the teams in the ACC that look to be a threat. Um, but this one is one where everyone's going to tell you you should win the game. Um, so, you, so now you got to go do it. It's at a weird time. You're on the road. Like how, how do you perform, uh, under those circumstances? Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. And I really, this is a team, this BC team is one that I really ride hard for. I don't know why. I think I just was really impressed with the way that they looked against Duke after, you know, it, it's their first game under Halfley. The defense has just looked so much better than it did a year ago. It's still not amazing as we know, but I mean, it's much better. 
And I love watching Phil Dracovic. Like he's so fun to watch. Yeah. He's, he's made that offense so dynamic, but you're right. Psychologically, it's a tough spot. And then uh, teams don't always fare all that well uh, the week after they play Clemson, no matter how they play. Um, yeah. I know that that has evened out some in recent years, but this is, yeah, I need them to validate me. Please validate me, Boston College, because I have been insisting that you are, in fact, good. And <laughs> I need you to prove me right. Like, I mean, they're, they're not amazing, obviously, but like, I think that they are good. I don't think yeah. that they're like, great, but they are a solid football team. And they've been they've been really fun to watch and impressive. And they've got to prove it, though, because you got to you got like you said, you got to take care of business in kind of a tough spot. And and on the Syracuse side, it's kind of feels like the type of circle the wagons game that Dino Babers pulls out every once in a while, uh, where he's he's the underdog. Uh, everybody's counting him out. He may play most of the game. Heck, he may start a true freshman. We have no idea. Dino Babers isn't going to tell us. Um, but he he may start a true freshman at quarterback. He may just play a true freshman at quarterback. Heck, he may just play Rex Culpepper. But this seems like the type of game that emotionally Syracuse is capable of just circling the wagons with all those young guys and having an uh, almost an out-of-body experience from an effort standpoint uh, and making it a game. So uh, I I am interested to see um, both Syracuse and Pitt from like an opt-out standpoint, like you're getting a really good player opting out. So how do you respond with that? Not only from a scheme standpoint, but from an emotional standpoint, because Trill Williams was one of the emotional leaders of that defense. Yeah, no, absolutely. That actually gets us nicely into the four o'clock game on ACC Network hit at Florida State. And that this game has a ton of fascinating psychological uh, and on field uh, kind of matchups because like Florida State, okay, you're you have not been good against the run or against anything defensively, but yeah. Pitt can't run the football. So which one wins out? Hmm. And and maybe who knows if Pitt can throw the football uh, with, with Joey Yellen, because it seems like the, the Kenny Pickett injury, um, Pat Narduzzi said he's been practicing, but he has not moved around well. Um, so, so it seems like with the, with the Kenny Pickett injury, it's going to be Joey Yellen again this week. Yeah, that's not great. Exactly. And, you know, uh, the the offensive line struggles of Pitt have been exacerbated by the fact that Joey Yellen's not mobile. Um, the yeah, run, Kenny can run away, but uh, yeah. and, and so much of Kenny, like I, I go back, we had them against uh, Louisville and NC State. And in that NC State game, Kenny made so many plays with his feet too, just like scrambling on third downs, um, you know, moving around in the pocket to create some space. And Joey Yellen's just not going to give you that. So then how, how do you how do you either stay out of positions where you have to do that or or simulate run game? I, I don't know. I don't know how they do that. But um, the the Florida State defense that is, I, I think as much as anything in the conference, the Florida State defense has been shocking to me this year. Yes, yes, I agree. I don't understand it. I don't either. And and last year, their overall stats weren't great. But, um, you know, when you, when you look at, at things like uh, the total defense last year, overall in the league, they were 11th. But if you go again to yards per play, they were fifth. That's Why my they, preferred metric, yes. What'd you say? 
That's my preferred metric as well. Yeah, exactly. But because because Florida State played more plays on defense than anybody in the country last year. So, of course, it's going to skew your total defense numbers against the run last year. They were fourth in the conference in in yards per run uh, yards per rush against the pass last year. They were sixth in yards per attempt this year. They are 15th in yards per play, 15th in yards per rush and 14th in yards per attempt. Like, yep. How does that happen? It's not just Hamson Nazrul Dean being out. It's also got to be that defensive front not playing well. But I thought like they had so many cooks in the kitchen last year. Uh, Jim Levitt, uh, Harlan Barnett, bo- basically dueling schemes that had this sort of Frankenstein type defense where they couldn't decide whether they wanted to be three man, a three man front, four man front. They played a million different coverages. Were they men? Were they two? Were they four? Like it was just all over the place. So I thought like simplifying that under Adam Fuller would make them better, but it just hasn't been. So uh, they have been like extremely, extremely confusing to me on defense. Yeah. And I I knew that their defense would play well against North Carolina in a night game in prime time. You know, I I call, I I wish I had a better name for it. I've talked about it on this podcast too, though. Like that's going to be highlight tape for when those guys get drafted and sacking Sam Howell and like getting all these tackles for loss against that North Carolina offense. But then the next week they go out against, uh, I think it was like, it was Louisville, right? Yeah. And they just, they were horrible again. And and it's like, this game's at four o'clock. It's a non-sexy time slot. It's a pit team that's been struggling offensively. So who knows who shows up for them? And we, is Jordan Travis playing? Is he okay? he is. Yep. Yep. Uh, as far as I know, I've not heard that he's not. He's been practicing and, and everything. So everything yeah. points in plan. So that's good. And he's been speaking of fun quarterbacks to watch. Like he's been super fun to watch too he uh, when he's right. And, you know, Pitt gets Paris Ford opting out, which was big. I mean, that's huge for them. Like to, yeah. to lose him in the secondary, that's a big, big, big loss. Um, and I know their defensive line is good, but I don't know, man. <laughs> Yeah, uh, defensively, they have really struggled um, at the cornerback position at times. And that's a position that you can't struggle at with this defense because uh, they, they play so much press man um, and and they rely on those guys to basically uh, basically be on islands for the entire game. And they have they have struggled mightily there. Uh, the question is, can Florida State take advantage of that? You know, can they make the plays uh, throwing the ball down the field? Tamari on Terry seems like he's practicing. We'll we'll see. Oh, we'll, well, yeah, we'll see if he plays. And the, the the reports coming out and the people that I've talked to are kind of you know mum on whether or not he's going to play. They're unsure as well. Uh, but without him, who is the guy? Like, who, who's the guy that's going to go make those plays? Is it Keyshawn Helton? Is it Warren Thompson? Is it Ontario Wilson? Ontario Wilson? I, I don't, I don't know um, because I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball against Pitt. Then Pitt stopped the run against pretty much everybody this season. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder how the added dimension of you know Travis being able to use his legs as effectively as he does you know adds to the equation. But I still think you're right. I think at least in terms of the traditional runs, that's not going to work against this team. So yeah, they're going to have to make some plays. Um, it'll yeah. be, I mean, it'll be interesting, but it's not a good spot for Pitt to be in for sure. The shine is very much off of their off of the rose, so to speak. That's not a is that an expression? That's probably not an. Expression. It works. It works for me. No, it's it, it works. It works. <laughs> and Narduzzi is not in a good spot right now. I mean, no one's getting fired in a pandemic, but like this is, this is, well, I mean, that's probably not true. Someone will fire someone, but yeah. I don't. I mean, yeah. not good for them. Auburn, Auburn and Texas fans will tell you to hold my beer in a heartbeat. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
like most schools. Let's add the caveat. Correct. Most yeah. schools are firing anybody, but so with, with the with the midseason, how do you feel about the midseason opt outs? Because I've got some mixed emotions about it. But how do you feel about it? I mean, I, it's tough, right? Like, I, I, in a sense, you get it. Like, I get it more at Syracuse, if that makes sense. Like, you're one in six, you know, and if you think you have a for sure NFL draft future, your team is one in six. It's probably not very fun right now. Like overall, I I get it. Pitt is a little more interesting to me. Um, That's not to say that they're not moving in the wrong direction, but you're three and four. Like it's an interesting choice. Let's put it that way. It's like, well, what did you, why didn't you do this sooner? I guess that's a fair question to ask. I think for almost any of these guys, um, assuming it's it's not just a, an, you know, an injury. Maybe they have a nagging injury. I don't know. I, I, yeah, it's just tough, right? I don't know. I guess you just worry that you could get some injury playing in this meaningless season and and that puts you out of the draft. So I get it from that perspective. But at the same time, that could have happened anyway. And I don't know. I mean, you, you, you played, so you probably have more insight than me in terms of like what that looks like for them. Yeah, I um, it, it is hard because I, I believe Paris Ford cited the rising cases of COVID in Pittsburgh as one of the reasons. And like, how do you discount that as a reason? Because we are still in a pandemic, even though there's a bajillion other things that are taking our attention away from it. Um, but guys leaving, mid, I don't I don't like it. Obviously, I feel like from a teammate standpoint, if one of my teammates decided to go do it, I would not feel good about that. Um, and I get why coaches would, would hate it. So I, I don't, I don't love it. I think bowl games are different, um, for somewhat, some, some obvious reasons, some non-obvious yeah. reasons, but, um, but I, I don't, I don't like the midseason opt-outs at all. Oh, wait, what, what are the, what are the non-obvious reasons that it, that it's different? That bowl games are different because no one yeah. cares. like like you go through a month oh you go through a month off where like you practice maybe ha- like as an experienced guy these guys that are going to be drafted they practice like of the fifteen practices they're they're really practicing like five maybe they're not in good shape they don't care like uh, it it is honestly a a risk for them to play because because they have taken bowl season as like a, a vacation honestly especially these guys that go on the tours. Lauren, uh, let me, let me. So we had a guy during bowl season, one of our best players, I'm not going to name any names. One of our best players during bowl season gained 25 pounds. What? Because he was doing the tours. He was getting wined and dined like, Hey, you're so great. You're going to this banquet and that banquet. He's missing practices. He's missing lists because he's out of town. And and honestly, like we don't want to get him hurt before the bowl game. So he's sitting out of practices. He's just doing the conditioning at the end, which is nowhere near as effective because it's not really a lot of conditioning. It's nowhere near as effective if you don't go through a full practice. Uh, yeah. He played his last game of the regular season at about, you know, 225, played that bowl game at 250. Wow. That's okay. So the the practices for bowl games and stuff are really probably more about like the younger guys that they want to get reps for, like almost a mini spring practice. Yeah, it's like a mini spring practice. You do some good on good. But again, like the best players aren't going, you're you're not going to risk getting them hurt in bowl season. You're trying to manage like the, the, the keeping them in shape, keeping them engaged, keeping them sharp with, uh, we don't want to get you hurt going into essentially a meaningless game. Oh, that's really, I mean, you do hear that. You do hear that like it's big for the young guys to get those bowl practices. And I guess that 
that's why I assume that when you said that, because I'm like, okay, that makes more sense why they say that considering, I guess they don't want to risk the really good ones getting hurt. Um, wow. That's fascinating. 25 pounds. Well, God bless him for that. You know, make the yeah. most of it. Why not? I mean, it, 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 the, the tour was legendary, but, uh, but yeah, he was big. He was big by the time we played. Uh, I won't say who we played cause that'll tell you who it was. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. I won't go do it. Well, I might go digging for my own purposes, but not, yeah, yeah. I won't, I won't out him either. Whoever it is. Uh, that's, that's amazing though. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that is, it is a little different at that point. It, it is weird to just do it now. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. I get it from the Syracuse thing though. Cause I mean, God, it was like what, two weeks ago now, three weeks ago that they were, who was it flicking off the camera at the end of that game? Uh, Taj Harris. <laughs> yeah. Taj Harris. Thank you. Yeah. That was not a, yeah. uh, when they're getting like trucked by Louisville or by Liberty's backup running back. Like, yeah. It's like, uh, that was one of those. It was like, look, man, I feel you. You can't do it. But I, f- I feel you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like, I, it's like, you can't, but I understand. Right. You know? right. So, so I kind of get it from, from the Trill Williams point of view, but still. It's, yeah. Um, well, Clemson, Notre Dame on that note then. Um, okay. Here we go. Clemson. This is okay. Tell me if you think I'm wrong here. Cause I, I sometimes misjudge how these games will play out psychologically but like can Dabo not super play the underdog card here uh yeah uh, well th- first off this that's like that's prime Dabo like that's that is that is his oh, yeah. wheelhouse is playing the underdog card he now now whether or not it's believable in those walls um the last few years it's probably not they're like come on coach like uh, I, don't, I don't know about that like only LSU maybe Ohio State too he could have played it but but that's that's a level where you don't really need to play it because you know that you're going to get up for that game. But yeah, I think you can play the underdog card. You know, we're going to South Bend. We've got our, our our starting quarterback who's the star of all of college football is out. No one gives you a chance. Um, people are saying that that Notre Dame's got a shot even. like Even that kind of feels like the underdog card. They're saying right. that these guys can hang with you. Um, so yeah, I think I think you can play the underdog card. I, I, I don't know how it lands in that locker room, but maybe, maybe I could, I could see him doing it. I mean, it is a spot for Clemson where, let's be honest, no matter how this game in and of itself plays out, they don't, I don't want to say they don't have anything to lose. That's, that's not the right way of putting it, but certainly they could very easily lose this game without Trevor Lawrence and the next week, uh, you know, and not have any big issues in terms of they'll get Notre Dame again, likely in the ACC title game. And they have the opportunity to avenge that. And that would be that. I mean, I think we all understand that part. Um, the thing that I think is at stake the most, if you're going to look big picture, is um, getting the number one overall seed in the college football playoff and avoiding Alabama or Ohio State in the first round. Like you, if if you're if you're looking for the easiest way to get a national championship, getting the number one overall seed is the way to do it because you don't have to go through both of those two. You only have to go through one of them. Whoever whoever wins from those two. So so if you're looking long term, like that's that's kind of the 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 only thing that's at stake because you're probably not going to be number one overall if you if you uh, if you're not undefeated. Um, now we don't know what's going to happen with Ohio State. Like they could very well lose, but tell me who they're going to lose to, uh, right. and that could very well happen to Alabama. They could very well lose, but again, look at that schedule and tell me who they're going to lose to. Yeah, they're not losing. I mean, maybe Auburn at the end of the season, but like that's a stretch. That's like the biggest stretch. And maybe Michigan at the end of the season, if you're a high state, but it, those are, those are massive stretches. This is the hardest game of the top three teams 
uh, in the country. This is the hardest game that any of them have for the rest of the season. So, so yeah, I, I think from that standpoint, there there is something at stake, but Clemson could lose and then win the championship game, as you said, and be completely fine overall uh, in terms of getting in the college football playoff. Although, like, I guess if Notre Dame won out and their one loss was to Clemson, um, I don't know who, like, they could potentially get in as the four, and then I don't know that the committee would match them up again for a third time as one four, although maybe they would. Yeah, the so if in order, well, in that scenario, they would play twice. They would play like if Clemson's undefeated and Notre Dame um, and Notre Dame's got got uh, in Notre Dame when loses to only Clemson, then they would go twice. But but yeah, like if well, I, I want to say here and then lose. Yes, them, yes. Yeah. Then, yeah, then I think both teams get in. I think I think both teams get in over a Big 12 champion. I think both teams get in. Uh, depends on what happens in the Pac-12. We'll, we'll see. Um, but I think there's a legitimate possibility that both teams get in. So, yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, from a matchup perspective, like I, I just I have a hard time. I'm not saying that Clemson can't win. I think we all know that they can. But I think this comes down to what can Notre Dame's offense do? Um, and because it's been a little on the pedestrian side at times versus what can Clemson do to move the ball on Notre Dame? Because they're going to key in on stopping Travis Etienne. So can they throw the football? Because they're going to say, throw the football to beat us. DJ Uyangalale. I've been practicing. Thank you, Kelly. Uh, you your nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> like, I, and I don't know. I mean, can he make the plays to beat them? Like maybe, but it's going to be a really tough ask for him in that situation, I think. Yeah, this is this is by far the best defense that that Clemson has faced this season. And um, b- because it might be one of the you know two or three best defenses in the country, like this Notre Dame defense yeah. is absolutely legit. And uh, I thought Matt Fortuna did a great article in the Athletic um, where where he polled uh, opposing ACC coaches about this defense, like talk to them about this defense. A- and the the reviews that you got from the other ACC coaches are like, this is the best Notre Dame defense that we've seen since we've been doing this. Like in this, it, with Notre Dame's had this relationship with the league which is saying something because they have had some really good defenses. Um, so, yes, there is a question on if Notre Dame is going to be able to move the football against Clemson. But I actually see Notre Dame having an easier time moving the football uh, early on than Clemson will, because I th- I think the adjustment period for, for Clemson to this Notre Dame defense is going to be substantial. And Clemson has not been a great running the team running the football. Uh, they, they they often have gotten away from it early because they just demolish people. But if you go back and you look at at uh, at the Syracuse game, really the entire football game, the Georgia Tech game, especially early, uh, both of those teams stacked the box and Clemson wasn't able to run. Now, did both of those teams have an extra hat in the box? Yes. So from a matchup standpoint, it wasn't great. But if I'm if I'm Notre Dame, yes, of course you stack the box uh, and and play the run, but you, you have to take Travis Etienne out of the game as a pass catcher as well, because yeah, that I think is the most effective way Clemson's going to have to move the ball, most efficient way they're going to have to move the ball. Yeah, you're right. Clemson's rush numbers have not been great in any game, really, except for the Miami game. Um, but that's something where he's been a really dynamic weapon in that way is sort of catching the ball when teams stack the box. So they're going to have to be really aware of that because that's, I mean, I, you could make a case. I, Probably not. I'm probably stretching it a little bit here, but you could make the case in a sense that he's probably been 
Clemson's most important weapon in the pass game, which is like both great for ETN and bad for the rest of the pass game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think from from like a bang for your buck standpoint. Yeah, he has been uh, because of of the the overall uh, ability to affect the game once he catches the football. I mean, he's averaging, I think, 15 yards a catch, 14.9 yards a catch uh, on 29 receptions this year, which like if you had Travis Etienne in the top 10 in the ACC in receptions this year, good for you, because I did not see that coming. But it's also good for him for his for his draft stock down the line. Uh, but but Notre Dame's going to have to figure out a way to to get that. Whether it's Jeremiah Owosu Koromoa covering him, whether it's you know just kind of uh, playing some sort of cloud where they just keep him in front. Um, I, I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, and then the other thing Notre Dame is going to have to do really well is make DJ think a little bit longer than he had to a week ago against Boston College. Boston College is typically pretty simple on defense. So he was able to know, all right, here's the look. Here's what I'm getting just after after the snap. Here's what I'm getting post snap. Let me go here. Notre Dame is going to have to do some more stuff where it you know looks like cover two turns into cover three. Looks like cover two turns into cover four. Looks like cover three turns into man free. He, they're going to have to do a lot of that stuff. Stuff so that he has to think, you know, maybe some zone pressures where it looks like, you know, you've got a blitz coming from the field and you've got a, a, a dropper to the boundary and you can get a, a cheap pick from there. He's got to do some stuff. Or they're going to have to do some stuff to try and throw him off uh, because when he's in a rhythm, I mean, he was fantastic last week once he got in a rhythm. Yeah, I agree. I was, I was impressed with him in, in what was a tough spot and then having to make that comeback and everything else. But yeah, like you said, this is a different animal. This is a different beast in the Notre Dame defense. And, and I just... Yeah, I don't know that Clemson's had anybody emerge as a as a wide receiver that can just sort of help bail out a young quarterback too, that he can just sort of throw the ball up to and in a one on one matchup and, and trust that he can come down with it. I don't know. I mean, Amari Rodgers has had a nice year, but I just don't know that they have anybody um that is that type of player right now at wide receiver, especially against a defense like this. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. And uh, we have been we've been hearing about Frank Ladson and Joseph Ngata really since they arrived. EJ Williams is 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 maybe a little too young to be that guy um, as a true freshman. But Cornell Powell has been their best receiver on the outside this season. Some of that's due to the fact that Ngata has been struggling with injury, uh, and Ladson, to be quite honest, has struggled with drops at times. So. Um, how do those guys play? Uh, that's that's it's going to be one of the fascinating things. I'm really excited for this game. I really am because we've we tried to convince ourselves that Clemson's got big games over the past few years before the playoff, and, and it's been you know it's been like, hey, Clemson's playing Miami. Like, okay, we know how this is probably going to turn out. Yeah, especially in the ACC, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I'll do the mental gymnastics to convince myself that this could be a close game, uh, but this one, like, legit, I I don't see how it's not a low scoring close game. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm I'm excited too because this is a big, you know, it's a big spot for DJ to be in, and and I'll be, I'll be really curious to see how he plays. Um, and yeah, I guess Trevor will be there, just not obviously playing. And I'm glad that that's weird. Well, I guess it's, he's past the 10 day, right? So he can technically be there. Like yeah. he would have been back to workouts and stuff anyway. So, like so, I, that part I get as long as he clears it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The the way they the way the release kind of came out or, or what I read was that, you know, he, he'll be able to return to practice on Monday after he completes the heart screening. So like, I was the cardiovascular screening happening after like, I don't know, I, I kind of 
when you do the math on whether or not he's going to be eligible, like I just want to know whether it's Dabo Sweeney not feeling comfortable putting him out there because he hasn't practiced all week and he hasn't been around the team and he doesn't want to play it in this game. Or I think it's, it's, it's got to be that too. Um, but if it was like, if it was a game that, that Dabo really felt like it meant something, would that be the case? I don't know, but he still would have had to pass the screenings, right? So right. Like, and, and that's the other side. Like, when does the screening happen? What, what is, what, I just don't know the timetable and I don't think they've come out with it. So I've, I've just got some questions about him being able to be there, but not suiting up. Like, is he still waiting for something? Was this a decision that Clemson made? I don't know. Yeah, I get it. Um, I'm glad they came out and said it, though, because like I was a little bit like, oh, boy, I hope they don't throw him out there after like 10 days of sitting in his room, basically. And <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny, Lauren, because we talked to uh, I had I had Virginia Tech last week and I asked Divine Diablo what that was like. I was like, so what is that 10 days like after you test positive? And he's like, man, it is a lot of people knocking on your door, dropping off food, and you're just sitting in your room doing your online classes. He's like, I was on YouTube trying to figure out like conditioning stuff and stuff that I could do in my room. He's like, could not leave. So I had to do it in my room, like doing high knees and dips and push-ups and stuff. And I'm like, wow. And then we asked these guys to go out and play football after that. That's crazy. That's the thing for me, right? Like when they were like, oh, maybe he could come back. Like when people were initially crunching those numbers, I was like, man, I don't know. Like they, he can't do anything for 10 days. Like I know he's trying to do stuff like Divine was saying, but it's like that's still not simulating a football game. Like that's yeah. way different. And so I'm glad for his own probably like physical safety that they didn't do that. Yeah. But, Although he'd, uh, have probably, he'd have probably lit it up because he's a gamer. That's true. No, I, I, I don't doubt it either. Um, but that's still insane just to think about. Um, well, it'll be fun. And this has been really fun. I'm, I've kept you long enough by now. But um, uh, looking forward to this week. Do you have a game this week? Yeah, we've got, uh, we've got Louisville. And I'm sorry, not Louisville. Pitt and Florida State. Oh, and uh, yep, yep. So uh, I'm doing it right from, from the exact spot that I'm doing this podcast <laughs> right now. Awesome. No, that's that'll be fun. And, and like, like we talked about a lot at stake there. Uh, so that'll be interesting. All right. Roddy Jones from Ace. Tell everybody where they can follow you from ACC network. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Roddy Jones 20. You can go subscribe to the ACCAF podcast, which a man, look for anybody who subscribed to the podcast already. I didn't have power last week. So forgive me for not putting out an episode, but, but we're back this week. All right. We'll have to do this again because this has been really fun. Um, until next week, everybody. Thank you.